All right, welcome to another uh, episode of the New Glarus Brewing Ca- uh, Podcast with Dan Carey. I am uh, Scott May, and today we're going to be talking about sustainability and brewing, which is, um, you know, a subject I think everyone should be uh, just in general thinking about in their everyday pursuits, in their business, or in just in their life. And uh, I'm very proud to work at a brewery that takes the concept of sustainability very seriously. So today we are going to be saving the planet one beer at a time, I suppose. <laughs> How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing all right. All right. So, you know, when I think about a subject like sustainability, I am not a scientific minded guy. Like I am not a math minded guy. These problems seem way outside my pay grade and, and yeah. sort of shut me down <laughs> mentally just to think about but I know you're different, right? You you consider these things a lot. Um, so when I say sustainability and brewing, what does that mean to you? Well, well, first of all, uh, I, I think you're right that the, the concept is overwhelming, and certainly the the media produces a lot of angst around this subject, and we all we all are afraid and we're all worried. But all we can do is the best that we can, and as as a uh, basically a brewmaster is really a plant manager so i'm running a uh, a brewery and i i need to do everything i can to be as efficient as possible um because that makes economic sense of course we're under a lot of uh pressure with um inflation etc so sustainability meaning to be uh, as efficient as possible like uh um like benjamin franklin said waste not want not so we have to make sure that we get everything out of every hour of labor and every uh, gallon of water we use and every every bushel of uh, malt that we use. So it makes good business sense. And then secondly, there's what, uh, close to 8 billion people on the planet Earth and we need to be responsible. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you have a son and I, I have uh, daughters and grandchildren and uh, we need to make sure that we protect the world as best we can going forward. Um, and, and if you, if that's not interesting to you, it's just simple, good business sense. But brewing is, um, a relatively energy intensive and labor intensive process because we're taking water out of the ground, we're heating it up to a boil, and then we're cooling it down below freezing and then, uh, putting it into a bottle. So it's, it's extremely, uh, energy intensive uh, with electricity and natural gas to do that work but of course that is an engineer's dream because there's a lot of opportunities for heat for recovering energy through the process yeah reclaiming water reclaiming heat reclaiming you know uh waste products i know sure Sure. um i know uh one of the things that impress uh impresses me uh or impressed me the most about this place is and we don't have to talk about it on any length but you guys send the water back that you take out of the ground back to the village cleaner than you get it. Yeah, it, pretty it much. Two, or two, as clean, as clean as it comes out of the ground. Yeah, you have, this is a brewery that has, what, two wastewater, wastewater filtration plants? Well, we, we put in a, a wastewater treatment plant because we are a relatively large user of water in the small village of Nuclearis. There's, I don't know, there's 2,000, 2,500 people in the village. And so we represent about 30% of the load on the wastewater treatment plant. And the, uh, uh, if we were to send our waste without treatment directly to the village, number one, our surcharges would be astronomical. Uh, um, so not good business sense. 
but um, we, we wanted to, uh, so we could have put in a relatively um, modest system that would get us below the surcharge level so that we would skate by and not paying surcharge. But Deb was very clear that she wanted to produce water that was put near drinking water quality so that what we sent to the village for treatment um, was pretty much next to nil for, for treatment so that we would not overload the plant because if we continue to grow, we would have required the village to um, prematurely ex- extend, ex- expand their plant, which um, would have been um, required uh, money from taxpayers. And the last thing that either of us wanted to do was to walk into a local bar, uh, look look our, our neighbors in the eye and uh, explain why they're paying for our wastewater. So we put in a wastewater treatment plant to do the work um, in advance. And then we send it to the village. Um, we could probably release it direct, uh, but we sent it to the village mainly to support the, support the infrastructure of the village. And, and that to me is a very, you know, a very interesting and very, you know, fun ideal that I think you guys live up to in your, in your business practices. And we were talking a little bit in the warm up for this about, you know, sort of the role ethics play in your guys' business decisions and and how the payoff for that sort of comes uh you know comes down down river for you for you guys but but it's first based upon like um a foundation seemingly instilled in both you and deb of just firm ethics uh you know can, can you talk a little bit, bit about where that comes from for you or or why that's so well in you? i was i was uh educated by uh jesuits and Maybe people don't know what that means, but Pope Francis is a Jesuit. Um, and there's a, the most important belief system is, is that you are your brother's keeper. And so it's important that what we do is what's best for the group. I also come from a generation that was told uh, by John Kennedy, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So we're a generation that um, is, well, we, we aspire to be um, selfless. And so that's a starting point. And secondly, um, I think it's 100% true that uh, 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 karma is, uh, is a bitch in the sense that uh, <laughs> you, if you do the right thing, it pays back a tenfold. If you do the wrong thing, uh, you're going to get slammed down the road. So you're better off... Um, even if you're if you're a selfish person, you're better off doing the right thing because um, you're going to get zinged if you do the wrong thing. And I, f- I find that time and time again. So so I, certainly uh, I'm an imperfect individual like all of us, but but I uh, try to aspire to um, to, to to a, a higher uh, higher good. You know, I'm I'm a um, a fan of a, a, a man by the name of Yvonne Chouinard. I, I was when I was younger, I was heavy into ice and rock climbing, mountain climbing. And Yvonne Chouinard was a, a, a very adventurous and a skilled climber. And he ended up starting the company Patagonia. And Patagonia, I think maybe most people are familiar with. And I think he just uh, basically literally gave away this billion-dollar company. Um, so he is he exemplifies this ethos of of how what what a modern business is about and about sustainability i'd like to just read what he said about the word sustainability it's a legitimate term that calls us not to take more from nature than we can give back but we do take more than we give we do harm 
nature more than we help it. We have to, we have no business applying this word sustainability to business activities until we learn to house, feed, clothe our people and fuel the effort without interfering with nature's capacity to regenerate itself and support a rich variety of life. Yeah, that's just, it, it's an absolutely amazing ethos, uh, you know, to, to aspire to. And I think, and I think it's, it, it's well documented, these decisions you guys make, whether it's, um, you know, building a wastewater treatment plant, designing your brewery in a way that's, uh, you know, friendly to workers, designing, you know, benefit packages, uh, salary packages that, that uh, promote a healthy life uh, or a healthy work-life balance for your people. All, you know, all of those things are, are part of sustainable business models. But there's also a science to it, right? Like uh, that that sort of pays off in ways you you couldn't even you couldn't even really predict when you make the decision. And we were talking a little bit about some of the byproducts of of brewing uh, before this, and and you know one of them is um, CO two. And yeah, I think I think it was timely because I sent you a link this morning about how there's yeah. a CO two shortage. And years ago, almost what, five years ago now, you guys started laying out a plan. For CO2 reclamation, just because it was a, you know, a a byproduct of just the brewing process that would otherwise just get released into the air. Can you can you tell me a little bit about the decision making there and the expense laid out and, and how that's paid off? Well, you know, obviously, when 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 plants like barley, malted barley, uh, when when they grow, they 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 capture CO2 from the air, uh, sequester it, make starch. We use that starch to to make beer, and one of the byproducts is returning that CO2 to the atmosphere. So um, it's it's the CO2 works in a cycle uh, in the environment, and so as a brewer, we produce CO2 gas through fermentation. All brewers. Um, all winemakers, uh, bakers, anybody that does a fermentation with, uh, with yeast will produce carbon dioxide gas. And, um, in the summer of 2017, our, our government, uh, pulled out of the Paris Agreement, which was an agreement, uh, uh about, uh, climate change and, and, and trying to, trying to, uh, uh, solve this problem, uh, moving forward of excessive CO2 in the atmosphere. And, and the government said, we're, we're no longer going to be involved in this agreement. So Deb and I remember that, I remember the day Deb and I were in the basement watching, watching the news and sitting on the couch. And I turned to her and I said, you know what? This is really, this really sucks. We should do something. Let's, uh, let's, let's see if we can collect our CO2 and reuse it rather than venting into the atmosphere. Because uh, if our government's not going to do it, we're going to have to do it as an individual. So we started and Deb said, yeah, sure, go for it. So we started down this road of researching. It's taken five years to, uh, to, to find a, appropriate equipment, design the equipment, uh, receive bids and go through engineering documents and place the order, have the equipment built, have the equipment shipped to us. And we're now just in commissioning of a CO2 collection plant. So that means that the CO2 that's from, that's produced in fermentation is not vented to the atmosphere, but it's collected. It's compressed into a liquid, compressed into a compressed gas and then liquefied. And then we stored and then reused in the brewing process. Um, because and and we're very lucky because it wasn't my intent when I originally thought of this idea, but now CO2 gas is 
getting very, very difficult to find. And a lot of breweries are hurting, but we'll be in a fortuitous situation that will be self-sufficient in CO2. Yeah. So, and, and, and just sort of, uh, so, you know, we understand why this is, we've been in a global pandemic that for two years now that required basically a Herculean task to get vaccines to people. And the way they do that is, I guess they pack, they pack them in dry ice. They need to keep them, yeah, they need right. to keep them fresh for, right. for people. And dry ice production requires CO2. So that's pulling it from, from every, from every, every other sector. But because you made a decision largely based just on the ethics of it, like you couldn't, there's no way you could foresee, oh, well, in 2022, we're going to have a yeah, CO2 exactly. shortage. Exactly. It, it paid off a downline. Now, what, now, how important is CO2 for the brewing process and, and what you do and the quality of your beer and, and that sort of thing? Well, uh, uh, carbon, carbon dioxide is considered an, an inert gas, meaning it doesn't uh, negatively affect the quality of beer. Oxygen air contains more or less 21% oxygen, and oxygen causes uh, oxidation. It's the same thing that causes food to uh, apples to turn brown uh, bread to stale but it also causes beer to stale so we work very hard to keep the oxygen out of our beer and when we fill a tank uh, we have to purge the air out of the headspace when we fill a bottle or a can we have to purge the air out of those uh, 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 containers because if we don't the beer will prematurely stale so as a brewer, it's our job to make sure the beer stays as fresh as possible for as long as possible. And that, that, as a side note, is pretty much my job. That's all I do nowadays is think about flavor stability because it's the last area of brewing that really we haven't solved. But certainly keeping oxygen out of the beer is usually important. So we need CO2 gas that does not have oxygen in it. And um, to give you an example... When we, um, when we put, when we're finished with our beer and it's in what we call our bright beer tank, our finished beer tank, we're maybe two or three parts per billion oxygen. And that, that's equivalent to say, say 15 or 16 people on the face of the earth. So it gives you an order of magnitude that it's, it's, it's a nothing amount of, of oxygen in our beer. So we use a lot of CO2 for flushing to accomplish that. Um, a lot of breweries will also use CO2 to carbonate their beer. That's, uh, to get the bubbles in the beer. That's how cola, that's how soft drinks are made. That's not how a, a real beer should be made. That's, it's not, that's not a Rheinheitsgebot or a pure four. It's a fifth ingredient. They, they'd uh, run you out of Germany for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you would not be able to, you could do it, but you couldn't label it as beer. Yeah. Because, um, it, 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 it's a fifth ingredient. And, um, and, and, God knows where it comes from. So, uh, if you're buying it. So we naturally carbonate our beer, meaning that it's during fermentation, during lagering, we, we close the tanks, we put them under pressure and the carbonation is retained rather than be invented. And, but, but we produce more than we need for, for full carbonation. And some of our beers like Moon Man and our Vice beers and some of our other beers are actually fermented in the bottle, like you'd find with a traditional champagne. So the bubbles come about naturally. But for us, for other brewers, they, they inject the, the, the CO2. And, and frankly, I apologize to my fellow brewers, but that's just lazy. But, uh, be that as it may, yeah. uh, we still use a lot of CO2. Now, when I get interested sort of in a, in a subject, I tend to, to read a lot about it. And 
And it, it was really funny. I was reading up about this and CO2 and reclamation and all of that. And I, I don't know if it was an interview you gave or something, but whoever really was hammering the point home just Dan Carey takes air in beer seriously. Yeah, I do. Super, super seriously. Now, was was that part of the reason for for wanting the the CO two reclamation, or is just air and beer just one of those last little like, all right, this is going to be my my problem to solve? Uh, yeah, it's it's both. Um, but uh, the the purchasing of CO two from a commercial supplier, CO two is made in various ways. But uh, to buy CO two, it come you've seen the trucks pressure vessels on oh, yeah. on, on, on the road. Uh, um, and so to buy CO2 in that way, y- you really don't know what's in that gas, uh, or, or liquid. And, um, um, the biggest problem is what's called beverage gear grade CO2. The maximum allowable amount is 30 parts per million oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's, that's considered acceptable. Yeah. But we're, um, we're about one one hundredth of that level wow. because that amount of oxygen in the beer will cause it to stale prematurely. And now with modern highly hopped beers, particularly dry hopped beers, mm-hmm. the um, there's so much stuff in the beer and the stuff, you don't need to be a chemist to understand <laughs> that the more concentrated stuff you have in the beer, there are more chances there are for those flavor compounds to be acted upon which is oxidation yeah. and those and usually unless you're making uh sherry you don't want those characters characteristics in your beer so yes keeping oxygen out is uh is important uh, and so we're talking about co or talking about sustainability um talking about co2 reclamation and, and i know there's a a lot of other decisions that go that go into your brewery design uh about reclamation, you have uh, systems for for reclaiming some of the heat you produce uh, to turn to turn that back into energy for the or to turn that back into the brewing process. Sure. Now, sure. can you tell me a little bit about that or how those processes work? Well, the the brew house process or or what I call the kitchen of the brewery is is we take barley malt and we grind it, we crack it open, we mix it with with hot water. That hot water has to be created. Mm-hmm. Hot water meaning, meaning, I don't know, more or less 155 degrees Fahrenheit-ish, 65 Celsius-ish. Yeah. And um, we go through a mashing process, which requires steam. And uh, that steam comes from a boiler, and the boiler is heated by natural gas in our case. And then we strain out the liquid, a lot like making coffee. And uh, that goes into what we call a brew kettle where we have to boil it. So we have to take it from 165-ish up to boiling. And then we have to boil it for an hour. (laughs) And so you can imagine our batch sizes are over 3,000 gallons. That's a lot of energy. So the the energy that it takes to um, heat to a boil and to boil is recovered. And reuse. So, for example, we have a condenser above our brew kettle. All of the steam that comes off is full of energy. So, we run it through a heat exchanger. We condense it back to a liquid. And anybody who remembers, maybe they're, or hopefully, maybe if they studied it, um, <laughs> the, the amount of energy that there is in a um, 
in a, in a pound of steam. There's a lot of energy. Yeah, I'm going to have to take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's why firefighters use water to put yeah. out... Um, put out fires because it has an obscene amount of energy to, to, to turn water to steam yeah. and to turn steam back to water. You recover a lot of energy. And, um, so, so we condense the steam back into water. So we take cold water, water, groundwater, and, and we heat it up to say 185 degrees Fahrenheit with this, uh, with this, um, Steam. So other than the cost of pumping the water through the heat exchanger, it's basically a perpetual motion machine. Yeah. And then now the water is basically comes the, the, the steam condensate is comes out uh, out of this process uh, at, at you know, below boiling. So maybe it's 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And then we run it through a heat exchanger to recover it even more heat. So it drops down to more or less bathtub temp temperature before it goes down the drain. So that energy is then recovered to a storage tank. And then um, when we are done with that, we have to cool this this wort or base beer, basis for beer, uh, down to a fermentation temperature, which is room, more or less room temperature. And so we use more cold water to do that, thus heating water. A every brewery does that step. So that's not interesting yeah. because every brewery does that. Okay. But but the, the collection of steam, uh, the condensation of steam, recovers a huge amount of energy so basically our i'm proud to say that our natural gas use is uh equal to world-class levels um for the amount of amount of natural gas that required to make a barrel of beer is as good as any brewer in the world and large brewers multi-million wow. barrel breweries because it, it's we've looked for we've looked for opportunities to recover all of this waste heat yeah um so that that's that's a huge uh, it was a it was a good investment, and that's and yeah that's 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 really cool and that's stuff that pays off that that stuff you're making that those are decisions you're making largely for an for an ethical standpoint an ethical viewpoint that are then paying off down the line for you. In this case, it was a relatively quick payback. Yeah. But the problem that we have the problem the fundamental problem with sustainability initiatives in general is is they're relatively expensive mm -hmm. historically although it's probably going to change now because you know we 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 have a a war going on and that's affecting these these things but the raw um uh, energy in, in this country is relatively inexpensive so sometimes paybacks can be uh, because equipment is expensive and energy is relatively cheap, although it's going to change. Yeah. Um, it sometimes paybacks are measured in decades. Yes. Uh, so you, you, sometimes it's hard for companies that are, um, maybe controlled by investors and looking for the quarterly profits and things to, to make the investments, um, in the short term. Uh, is, is a difficult decision. So yeah. it has to be, it has to be a decision that's based on a company that's viewing the long term of the long term health of the company, because I guarantee you the cost <laughs> of energy will not, will never go down. No, it will always go no. up. So it's forward looking rather than being caught short. And it's, it's certainly, um, the right thing to do. The, the other obstacle is, uh, knowledge that, um, uh, a lot of these things require skill and these, some of these skills are not available. For example, um, uh, photovoltaic cells, uh, come from mainly from China. So 
we don't have a we don't build um, solar panels in the United States for, yeah. the, mo- for the most part. I apologize if if, if I'm wrong, but uh, most of it they're, comes they're from hard to, they're harder to come by, yeah. and and they're so they're cheap from Asia. Yeah, and and this means that we're not developing the talent in house. So there's opportunity for young people to. To go to technical schools to study these straight these mm-hmm. trades, and a lot of people poo-poo the idea of you know our president is is saying hey we need to invest in this technology because it creates jobs. And what he means by that is, is all of this whether you're building wind turbines or photovoltaic cells or helping me as a brewer to design energy efficiency in my plant. I need engineers and you need I need someone technicians. With a, you need someone with the technical know-how. I, I need someone with the technical know-how. I need electricians to pull wires. I need refrigeration technicians. Welders. And welders and all of these people, they get paid a hell of a lot more money, I'm sorry to say, than yeah. a barista at Starbucks. Yeah. So and it's a viable it's, career path. It's a viable career path. So the, he, the government is trying to invest so that we can protect ourselves against a future Believe me, China. Well, that's uncertain. So, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Certainly, I think we can all be safe to assume the future is quite uncertain. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's Uh, probably that's probably been true forever, but right now it feels especially true. That's right. I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) No, I like you on your soapbox. When you're on your soapbox, it's great. We get, uh, you know, the things you're passionate about are the things you're passionate about, and sustainability. I think. And, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you mentioned it before, you know, in your in your younger days, you were into mountain climbing and ice climbing. Sure. I know you personally to be a avid runner and I sure. know your extreme distaste for the treadmill or yeah. having headphones in while you're running. Yeah, or right. I think basically you just you, you tolerate your Garmin watch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but not, I find that's, it annoying, but, but I use it. But you tolerate it because yeah. it's useful. Do you find uh, that this sort of lifelong outdoorsmanship? For, for lack of a better word, has influenced your stance on sustainability and your viewpoint on these sort of issues? Yeah, very much so. Certainly, we're all a victim of our experiences and our upbringing and what we've been taught. Um, and uh, uh, my, my mother was environmentalist way back. I was born in 1960. So I was raised by a woman who was a very much outdoors person. She was very much an environmentalist and she was also uh, the first feminist that I ever met. So um, I was, I was schooled at a very young age to appreciate, um, appreciate people Mm -hmm. uh, to appreciate the value of all people uh, no no matter, you know, their color or or sex or creed or any of that. But uh, also we spent a lot of time um, in the outdoors, whether it was camping or backpacking. Uh, My mother was also bird watcher. So, um, uh, I, I, yeah, she, she, uh, led me to believe that, um, protecting the environment was, uh, um, was good, a good thing to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I am, I am envious of you, of your, of your like of the outdoors. I'm an avid indoorsman. <laughs> I, I, I wish, I wish I felt more comfortable in my natural world, but I'm always like, oh, I got a little misty, didn't I? Well, yeah, don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm perfectly happy with a couch and a beer. So, uh, but, uh, but, but there's, you know, uh, uh, being among the trees, I think anybody who, uh, everybody and anybody who has a chance, um, uh, sh- should spend time in the woods. And I'm always shocked when, uh, when, the, when government wants to invest in maintaining, like Teddy Roosevelt did, the, um, uh, 
our forests and people say, I don't spend any time in the woods. Why should I pay for that? Well, maybe you should spend some time in the woods. Maybe you wouldn't be so darn crabby. Well, I, I think I, I spent a couple years uh, running. So I did a couple of half marathons sure. with you and I often tell people, if you're going to find God anywhere, it's going to be at mile five as you're cresting a hill in Greene County, Wisconsin, hundred <laughs> percent, looking over some beautiful 100%. farmland. We got out, got out. Here. I agree. I, I, I find God in the Peninsula State Park in Door County. That's that's that, where he is, that or is, she that, is. That, that's where that's where they live. That's where they live. That that's is right. Where they live. Um, so yeah, that's you know that's a good conversation about sustainability and, and sort of the business uh, the business ethos. Um, uh, do you have any other any any other thoughts on this, or any projects you're looking forward to trying to take on, or any ideas you're thinking about to further? Because uh, I know you have a goal of making it basically you know, a neutral operation that you don't, you know, that you sort of yeah, put back in what you that's take uh, out. Yeah, so. that's always uh, moving towards that goal. But um, I think the, the, the uh, we had a meeting this morning, uh, we're, we're, we're in the middle of our, we're almost ready to start our acceptance test for our CO2 plant. So we met with all the team players. And one thing is that uh, in business, I, I, I always look to the people who are actually doing the work because, you know, I'm in my office and they're out on the floor doing the work. And so I, I spend a lot of time asking people for their input. And um, I think uh, I've always been a big f um, fan of how the Marine Corps runs their business, meaning that they all decisions are pushed down to the um, uh, level of uh, a team leader who's on the who's who's on the scene who's there so yeah. that that's important to rely respect and rely on the people who are actually uh doing the work because they're the experts they're the smart ones and uh the older the older i get the more i realize that there's a lot of really clever people out there and um you're you're we're wasting human capital when we don't when we're not uh being inclusive for example just simply means that uh utilizing all of that sustainability yeah utilize human capital because there's a lot of people who are marginalized that are very very clever and man if we could, if we could take all of the people who are marginalized and put them to use for the common good we could get a lot done the opportunities and that's one of the things i've i've really respected about the way you guys the way you guys do your business is you know as you've grown over the years you you've gone from you know basically a, a warehouse to this you know this beautiful cathedral to brewing we have here up on the on the hill and you have employees that have been with you 25 30 years you have scientists working in your lab who don't have four-year degrees you've yeah, trained these, that's right you, you've trained people you've you found the people who who excel you find people who excel at certain things and you recognize the talent in them and then you nurture it and give them the opportunity to do things yeah everybody has <clears throat> a skill has a talent and it's just that they're really uh, my Deb and I have to work, do work really hard to find a place for people. Some people don't fit if they don't, if, if people aren't willing to make the effort, then they don't fit. But if someone is willing to push, help move the ball forward, uh, find a place for them because everybody is really clever in something. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm a technician. I'm, I'm a computer and calculator type of a person. And, uh, um, it took me a long time to realize like Deb, Deb always knew this, that, uh, uh, people make beer, not equipment. And yes. it took me a long time to really internalize that, that, um, it's about the people. And that's, um, for me, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned in life. 
Well, I think that is just an amazing note to close on, whether it's in, you know, in business or in, in life. It's, it's about the people and it's about preserving what we have and it's about making sure we have things to move forward and making sure that this place can last for, for generations. So as always, I thank you for your time and giving me the opportunity to sit down and, and talk with you about a, a variety of subjects. And yeah, we'll, we'll catch you all next time.